And I am here. Where is here? I am at home in my in my studio. What were you doing in Singapore anyway? I was at something called the Music Matters Conference, which is an Asia-Pacific music conference. A lot of people from all over the world come in. Uh, the head of Universal Music was there. I ran into Thomas Dolby. Oh, science! Had a nice little talk with him. I talked to a guy named Mark Geiger, who was... Uh, hey, hey, hang on, hang on. What did you talk to Thomas Dolby about? Oh, I wanted to get him to help us out with this Science of Rock and Roll exhibit that's coming up to the um, Ontario Science Center and beyond. And he did a long time ago a series of little films for Jim Henson on how to explain uh, synthesizers and electronic keyboards for kids. So, so be... do you think he's going to help you out this time around? Well, we're going to we're going to talk. So, so what you're telling me is you've got Thomas Dolby's personal email address. I do have his personal email address, as a matter of fact. So here we go. Let, let me ask you this about Thomas Dolby's top secret private email address. Does it have the word science in it anywhere? No, it doesn't. It's uh, Thomas at Ted.com. <laughs> is it really? Yeah. He just told the world. Yeah. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, simulcast on shortwave radio and Citizens Band 14, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Apple's $3.2 billion Beats headphone deal is turning into a 3.2 magnitude headache. How much would you pay for a high-end stereo? Steve Jobs dropped more than 20 grand. Pigs in space and humans, too, will bring you the latest advancements in cryogenics that could make the vastness of space seem like a catnap. Plus, you got a couple of grand? We'll tell you how much your favorite rock legend charges to play your son's bar mitzvah. And we'll teach you how to speak Dothraki to woo women in your life. Yeah, good luck with that. Yes. The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. Apparently, this $3.2 billion acquisition of Beats headphones by Apple is turning into, quote, a lawsuit magnet. Yeah, you know, you could see that happening. Um, part of the issue is, was uh, the fact that Beats and Monster did not separate well. And some of the people responsible for Monster uh, are, are looking for their pound of flesh from Beats before this whole thing can go through. And I totally understand that. I mean, I would I would be uh, severely pissed if there was a $3.2 billion deal involving a, um, a company that I had uh, something to do with founding and uh, I wasn't getting my piece of the action. Are you talking about Stephen Lamar? Is this who we're talking There's, about? Yeah, there, yeah, I think it's him, and, and there are some other people involved. But if you uh, search for any number of stories on Beats versus Monster, you'll see that it was a pretty messy breakup or a pretty messy takeover. So, uh, yeah, somebody's going to want to get their, their, their act straightened out before the whole Apple thing goes through. But there are a number of other things that are holding that whole deal up. And um, I would imagine we'll hear, well, the podcast will be out on Wednesday, I would imagine we'll hear something by the end of uh, end of this week. Mike Clasco is an audio engineer who apparently worked on the original version of the Beats by Dr. Dre headphones, and he describes Lamar as the true father of Beats. Yeah, and and it became a, a more than anything else, it became a marketing exercise under Jimmy Iovine 
and Dr. Dre, and they became very, very successful with it. And again, I think it was Wired Magazine that had a fantastic um, sort of blow-by-blow description story about how these two companies came together and then cleaved, and it wasn't a very happy cleaving. Yeah, the whole monster thing. Apparently, they decided to go with cable supplier Monster over Apple as the original sole distributor of the Beats headphones, which got Dre and Iovine 20% of the royalties on all the sales. That's an awful lot of money. Well, this is why they make, uh, well, their revenues are at, uh, what is it, $1.3 billion a year. That's why the company is valued at $3.2 billion. So, so yeah, I mean, if, if seriously, if, if you were that guy, wouldn't you want your piece of the action? Meantime, our uh, new writer on the big show, Jason Tolman, has uh, broken down the stereo setup of Steve Jobs. So we've got him working, do we? We do. Okay. If you go to thegeeksandbeats.com, as a matter of fact, we'll talk about this more a little later if you'd like, but um, if you would like to write for the big show, Jason's not the only one who's filled a position. You can do so, too. Uh, but uh, he uh, found this article courtesy of Ox, and it's a $26,000 stereo system that Steve Jobs had. Really? Now, I remember there was a time back in the old uh, Macworld days where he brought out one of these little docking mechanisms. And he said this music, this this device was so good that he was going to throw it out a stereo system. Of course, Apple doesn't make that thing anymore. So really, I would like to see what the stereo system looks like. Well, it starts, of course, with a turntable. Uh-huh. A $1,500 turntable called the MK1 Gyro Deck. Okay, that's $1,500 for a turntable. So... Not a big deal. The one I have here in my studio is 1200 If you look at this thing, it looks like something that would easily be at home on a 2001 Space Odyssey. Mm. Uh, the AccuStat Monitor 3 speakers, which are about eight grand. Those would be electrostatic speakers. Very mm-hmm. expensive. What's electrostatic mean? It just has, uh, it just explains how, um, describes how the drivers work. Um, you don't have... Um, you don't have uh, tweeters and woofers. You have uh, an electrostatic ribbon that uh, reproduces all the sounds. Oh. It's, it's expensive, and um, it has its own particular sound. And if you like a certain purity of sound, uh, electrostatic speakers are very good. Martin Logan makes a good set of uh, electrostatic speakers, too. Dropped $6,000 on a Threshold Stasis One amplifier. The Denon TU750S is the CD player, which uh, at the time in 1982 when Steve Jobs had bought it would have cost about $450. Today, you could grab one for about 50 bucks. Yeah, that would have been, you know, a cheap 16-bit CD player with, you know, something that you can put in your pocket today, yeah, if you wanted to buy one. How much have you spent on your stereo? Over the years... I haven't bought a lot of stereo equipment recently, but over the years, I bet you, I bet you spent twenty or twenty-five thousand dollars collectively since nineteen seventy-seven, something like that. And how much would you value your current rig if somebody busted it in and you had to tell the insurance uh, company how much it was worth? Oh God, eight hundred bucks. Does that have something to do with the fact that your music is more mobile than it ever was, or is there something else at play? No, I think it has to do with the fact that most of my audio gear has gone into home theater. Mm. And the biggest thing of value with my home theater is the television. And then there's the amplifiers in the basement, which, you know, I got a Hi-Fi 2000 for, I don't know, $600. 
and then some speakers, which are probably altogether about $1,500. So yeah, I mean, I, I haven't spent money on high-end audio for quite some time. Although I have promised myself that when I do finish the basement, I am going to get myself a very good high-end two-channel stereo system. Two-channel. Two channels, so nothing with a TV attached. It's going to have an amplifier, a turntable, and a CD player with a digital audio converter. That's it. You going to soundproof the room as well? Uh, I think I'm going to have to, but mm -hmm. to what ex to what extent is another story. I ran into a guy once. He was building a house and he wanted to have a listening session, a listening room in the basement. So what he did is, in the middle of the basement, he uh, built a a room, an isolated room. You raised the floor raised the floor, filled it with sand. Mm -hmm. The room was uh, then constructed with cinder blocks, and the cinder blocks were then filled with sand. And then he had some <laughs> some kind of, uh, it was completely isolated from, from the surrounding areas, so there was no traffic vibrations, there was no vibrations from anywhere in the house. And then he had some sort of uh, acoustic baffling or paddling on the inside. So it was, it was essentially a... Um, a fairly dead room, not a completely dead room because that really kind of ruins everything. But it was uh, it was about a ten by twelve room or a twelve by twelve room, and uh, there was a couch and there was a stereo in front of him and two speakers on either side, and he sat in the sweet spot, and that's how he enjoyed his music. Interesting point about uh, the acoustic deadening. You want a room to have a little bit of bounce to it. You don't want to completely absorb all of those waves as they're emanating from the speakers. And that, that's weird and counterintuitive, but I've been in rooms where they're too quiet. No, and you end up hearing your heartbeat. And I, seriously, you end up hearing your heartbeat. You end up hearing, uh, you know, every creak of your bones. You you end up hearing uh, your, your clothes uh, you know, crackle and ripple. So no, no, no. You want a little bit of life in your room um, because that's how sound is. If sound is, it does not get absorbed by all uh, the by your environment. It gets bounced around by it. You found an improvement on the default iOS ringtone. I think so. Did you see this guy? This uh, this Indian DJ? No, I haven't. He's taken the 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 standard iOS seven ringtone and turned it into some sort of weird mashup. What is he using here? It looks like he's using some sort of sampler system, but it doesn't look like a standard keyboard synthesizer. Like no, it's it's not. I can't remember the name. If it's in the story here someplace. This comes courtesy of TechCrunch.com. Yeah. The DJ behind the mix goes by the name Metronome. Metronome. N-O-M-E. Yeah, I know. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, I think it was my friend Peter in um, San Francisco that sent me that. This is really catchy, actually. He does a good job. Well, having done a lot of traveling recently, you realize exactly uh, how many people use the standard default tones on, on just about all their phones. He's using a Native Instruments machine board, M-A-S-C-H-I-N-E. Yeah, this is beyond me. I, I don't understand these, these things. 
But well, uh, we had uh, we, we had talked a lot about the band Pamplemousse or Pamplemousse, which did a lot of this kind of stuff as well. And it's the same sort of thing. They're using this gear where it's recording something, and then the moment you take your finger off that record button, it can loop it for you, and then you can trigger versus, with all of these different little white buttons that glow different sounds. And it seems like that's what he's doing. It, it's it's a an old-fashioned style loop mixer. Incoming call from Metro. No, no. So this is well done. I would go back to this ringtone. And the thing is, is it really gets good towards the end. Three minutes, 20 seconds. Yeah, and if, well, I'm not going to listen to my phone ring for three minutes. <laughs> I was just going to say, how long are you going to let that phone ring before it goes to voicemail? Drop it. He just posted this the other day. How many views has he got? 1,500,000. Not bad. See, people are always... Yeah, good job. And there's a free download. So if you go to geeksandbeats.com and you're actually interested in having this as a uh, a ringtone yourself, uh, we'll uh, put the link up there and you can go and grab it. It's absolutely free of charge. I, I, you know what? I think I'm going to have to get it. I I really think I'm going to have to get it. Topic of changing your ringtone. No, no. What? Uh, okay, I want to talk a little bit more about ringtones. Oh, all right, hook me up. Because one of the things I talked to Thomas Dolby about was ringtones. Oh, he got really big into ringtones in the 90s, didn't he? Why? He got very, very rich. Now, what happened was he moved to California and he created a company called Beatnik. And what they were doing was trying to create the world's smallest synthesizer. And it's somehow Nokia and he got hooked up. And Nokia was trying to find some kind of chip that would allow ringtones to become a little you know, more polyphonic and more fun than just a standard tone. So they approached Beatnik, and they had come up with this, um, what was actually a tiny synthesizer. And it was generally going to be used to create really annoying tones. And those tones were for people working on um, on fiber optic cables and on television cables, uh, on, on copper cables, to let somebody know that somebody along the line, another technician on the line, needed their attention. That was their original purpose. But then the Nokia people came in and, and they saw that they were, you know, fiddling with this thing, and asked, you know, can could could you get this thing to to make a tune? And yeah, I suppose suppose we could. So they fiddled it with a little bit more, and uh, they realized that wow, we could make this thing create any tune we wanted. I mean, think of how much this would be cool that you could have your favorite song as a ringtone. Uh, but then Nokia says, well, listen, we can't do that because, I mean, this is a matter of licensing. This is, this is copyrighted material. You just can't go and recreate and, and distribute this material. Oh, is that how the Nokia ringtone was born? And that's how the Nokia ringtone was born because Thomas Dolby says, well, this guy's been dead for 100 years. Let's, let's use him. And and that's what where is it that? Is that something they didn't make that up? Is that uh, no. stolen from somewhere? Uh, it's not stolen from somewhere. It was in the public domain. Apparently, uh, there's a Wikipedia entry for it. Oh yes, there is. It's called Grand Valse. It's right. a phrase from a composition for solo guitar by the Spanish classical guitarist and composer Francesco Terrega. There you go. Written in 1902. Yes, yeah, so it's in the public domain.
wow, this guy must be rolling over in his grave. Oh, he must be. I know. Oh, I he first that. appeared on the Nokia 2110, released in 1994, and the tune is heard worldwide an estimated 1.8 billion times per day. Yes. and 20,000 times per second. And the guy that made it possible was Thomas Dolby. So he figures that his, uh, his uh, device, his, his, his mini synthesizer, is in something like a billion and a half handsets. Man, I got to tell you, I thought I liked Thomas Dolby until you told me that. Yeah, he, but he was a very nice guy. Well, I bet he was. I would love to sit down and talk to that guy. Yeah. Uh, Get him on the show, can you? From finding a new ringtone to finding a better email client than the mail app for Mac OS X. I put out the all call on our Twitter feed, Geeks and Beats, and uh, Steve M. tweeted back saying, Airmail app is the one that he is recommending. I'm going to check that out after I've spent more time with Unibox. Ooh, okay. Unibox, uh, it's a 30-day free trial. It treats your email in a very similar metaphor to the way your iMessage screen looks like on your iPhone. Mm -hmm. And so uh, if you can imagine down the left column, instead of the list of all your different mailboxes and sent folders and drafts and all that nonsense, it just lists the people who have sent you email. And then on the right column, the larger column, which takes up about three quarters of the, the, the screen, that's the email. And when you reply to somebody else you pop up with your uh, icon which represents you and it pulls gravitars as well as facebook and twitter to pull in the profile photos for the person you're chatting with and so it just goes back and forth much like a chat window hmm. it's really well done and it's very simple no nonsense you don't a dollar 99 oh well, i'm looking at the airmail a dollar 99 wow and what, what was yours uh this Sorry? one i think is a little more expensive i don't know here let me click what's the it, download what, from the mac store what's it called it's called unibox u-n-i box it's 20 bucks well 18 dollars 17.99 uh, but it has uh, of the ratings on there the 13 ratings 10 of them are five star three of them are four star the uh, average ratings for all the versions are four and a half stars, and it it basically so it, makes. Sorry, is this for OS uh, OS ten or is this for iOS? It's for OS ten. Okay. Yeah, and, and uh, they describe it as a people centric email client. So yes. it just basically lists your contacts sort of by the date of the last message. Right. And so if you've got four people in a conversation, it's not going to show you four separate uh, entries there. It organizes the messages for you. Each contact is only displayed once. The only downside I've noticed, and I, and I think this is let's sue Apple up the yin-yang at the Department of Justice over this, is when I chose Unibox as my default email client, I could Wouldn't no longer right-click and choose share via email in the operating system. Oh, uh, see, there's always a, 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 a catch there. Crap. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I'm hoping that that's something that's been overlooked and can be fixed at some point down the road. But in the meantime, I'm enjoying it because it's far more, far less cluttered than what you get with the standard uh, Mac mail app. And the other thing that always bothered me about the Mac mail app is that when I open up a, a message, if I wanted to close that window, I'd you know, hit the escape key like I would back on my old PC days, and it wouldn't close the window. It would just yeah, give me that beep uh, warning. This one doesn't even open windows separately for messages. They all just appear, like I said, as a chat. Interesting. I'm loving it I, large. I had all kinds of trouble with uh, Apple Mail when I was away. I got heart blood. Yeah, you were bled away. You yeah. Resolved now? I, I think so. I had to. I actually had to run a virus scan on my Mac. <laughs> 
so I found a couple of Trojans, and I think part of the problem was the uh, the Wi-Fi I was using at the hotel where I was staying. I think that was the problem because when I started to use the computer at a different using a different Wi-Fi hotspot, I didn't have any problem sending mail. Can I offer a possible um, explanation? Okay, firewall. You may not have been heart blood. It may just have been a firewall. My uh, email provider and the one that we use here for geeksandbeats.com as well has a non-standard port that it uses to retrieve and send email. I guess they figure it's more secure to do it that way. But because it's not standard, a lot of uh, firewalls will close unnecessary ports. When I'm at work using the uh, intra-office Wi-Fi, I can't send or receive email. I have to go LTE. Oh, all right, well, it seems to be all figured now. I've got all my computers up and running, but it was really kind of scary being overseas not being able to send emails. Welcome to voice print identification. When you see the red light go on, would you please state in the following order? Your destination, your nationality, and your full name. Moon, American, Floyd, Awood R. Thank you. You are cleared through voice print identification. Frankly, we have had some very reliable intelligence reports that quite a serious epidemic has broken out into clearance. I know there have been some conflicting views held by some of you regarding the need for complete security. Something apparently of an unknown origin. However, I accept the need for absolute secrecy in this. This is in fact what has happened. I'm really not at liberty to discuss this. We thought it might be the upper part of some buried structure, so we excavated out on all sides, but unfortunately we didn't find anything else. It hasn't been covered up by natural erosion or other forces. It seems to have been deliberately buried. Four million-year-old black monolith has remained completely inert, except for a single, very powerful radio emission. Three weeks ago, the American spacecraft Discovery One left on its half-billion-mile voyage to Jupiter. The sixth member of the Discovery crew was the HAL-9000 computer. Everything is going extremely well. One gets the sense that he is capable of emotional responses. Well, hell, I'm dead. No 9000 computer has ever made a mistake or distorted information. But, Dave, I can't put my finger on it, but I said something strange about it. Just a moment. Just a moment. You know what happened? I'm sorry, Dave. I don't have enough information. Made radio contact with him yet? The radio is still there. Hello, Hal. Do you read me? Hello, Hal. Do you read me? Do you read me, Hal? Do you read me, Hal? This mission is too important for me to allow you to jeopardize it. I don't know what you're talking about, Hal. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Suspended animation trials to start this month. Okay, this has my attention. Mm-hmm. So, oh, wow. So this is like all those poor people that never made it through 2001, the movie. Uh, what do you mean, sat through it? No, 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 no. There was Doctor. There was there was David Bowman and there was Frank Poole. They were alive and and awake. And then there were six other. Uh, five or six other uh, astronauts that were in suspended animation that were eventually killed by Hal. 
Researchers say they don't want to call it suspended animation, but when it comes down to it, that's the best way to describe it. Uh, and what will happen uh, this month at uh, Presbyterian Hospital in Pittsburgh, 10 patients whose injuries would otherwise be fatal will undergo this test of suspended animation. They've already done it in pigs. About 14 years ago, they did it on pigs, and it worked. They had the two pens. They had the control group where they literally just gave them the old slice and watched them bleed out. And then they did the other ones, and uh, the control pigs died, but those preserved had a 90% survival rate. What they did was they pulled the blood out of the body, replacing it with a saline-like solution within the first five to 20 minutes after injury. Mm. What they figured, and, and this idea goes back to the Vietnam War, is what doctors had learned, courtesy of the Vietnam War, is that the majority of the fatalities were because soldiers blew, uh, soldiers had bled out. They, their wounds would have been survivable had they been in an emergency room at the time that it happened. Mm. So what they did with the pigs was they replaced their blood and then gave them blood again once they uh, went through the whole procedure, restarted their hearts, nine out of the ten pigs survived. How long did they keep the pigs under suspended animation? Aha, uh -huh. now therein lies the rub. This is not going to get you to Mars. Oh. Not at this point anyway, although we know, you know Moore's Law works for uh, computers and may work for the body as well. The problem is, is that it only works for about four hours. Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, that could be enough time to get somebody to a place where they could be treated properly. Precisely. So you get somebody who is in a community that doesn't have the necessary brain surgeon. The guy is, you know, two and a half hours away. They're not going to make a two and a half hour chopper flight. So what do you do? Replace the fluids. That's interesting. But like I said, this is most likely a scenario where they will improve the technology over time. And eventually, yes, all of your blood will be replaced with this gooey-like substance. And you'll be able to make it to Mars and just be flushed out in a fresh coat of blood. Yeah, nice. That was like my trip uh, to and from uh, Asia. I have a... a <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I have a special um, sleeping pill that I get uh, from somewhere. And on the way there, I slept from Hudson's Bay, northern Hudson's Bay, to someplace over Siberia, completely in, a, in, a, in an economy seat. On the way home, I slept from the Bering Sea to Thunder Bay. Um, I'm a little concerned about your source for this alleged medication. Yeah, uh, some people are, but listen, I needed a good sleep. Wow. Mm-hmm. Fantastic stuff. A little freaky. Yeah, okay. Is it expensive? Do you have to, like, meet Rob Ford in his Escalade behind a hotel somewhere? Uh, I have my sources. Anything more and one of us is getting arrested? Anything more than several people will be arrested. Mm. Project Traveler 3. Yeah, uh, yes. And, and if you heard this, forget everything that you said. Uh, that we said. Great. Now we have to visit everyone's <laughs> home and kill them. Yes. You found a cool app that allows you to record in a virtual studio with anyone anywhere in the world. Yeah. You know, this sort of stuff is becoming uh, a bigger deal because 
it used to be that if you wanted to con uh, collaborate with people around the world, you had to you know create your track and then upload it on an FTP server, and then they would download it and do their bit, and then re-upload it and so on. You never got a chance to actually work together. Then there were some apps that allowed sort of for some simultaneous recording, jamming together, but there was always a latency problem. But now this uh, they, they've managed to overcome this this latency issue where you know people from various parts of the world, and it's called whole world band. Um, can get together and just, you know, um, as if it were, they were in the same room, which I think is really, really cool. How do you deal with the latency issue? I, I don't know. It's magic. <laughs> There's a, they've, uh, they've put up a four-minute video explaining how it all works. Um, one of the investors in the company is uh, Kevin Godley uh, of Godley and Cream of 10CC. And uh, there's a number of other musicians, high-level musicians. I think Dave Stewart of the Eurythmics is involved. And they all really like this because these are guys that want to stay in their home studio yet want to you know, collaborate with a guy in, in, in California or maybe they're having some fun with somebody in Japan. And this is easy. You just you know, work out the time zones and, and hook everybody up together and start playing. I see it's free. There's an $18 top-up pack three. I don't quite know what that means, but there is an in-app purchase. And this is, again, for an iPhone or an iPad. That's fantastic. There are recording sessions that are in progress, and you can join in on them. Yeah. So it's not just a case of you and three buddies who are hundreds of miles apart can get involved. If you've got nobody to play with, sad yeah. as that is, you can actually find somebody. to. You play can join with. a jam. Yeah. And that jam could be anywhere. And who knows what kind of collaborations and what kind of creativity this is going to engender. I think it's fantastic. The iPhone version has a music video component as well. You can tell the app to build an automatic video mosaic featuring all the parts you choose from the song. You can edit the video yourself using a cut mix editor. All you do is touch and swipe on the phone to edit the whole thing. The phone is becoming you know, so cool and so, I, I don't know. Well, it's a computer in your pocket. It's, well, it the is. The last it, thing you use it for is to make a call. Well, exactly. I, I, I made one phone call in the last two weeks on my phone, um, which makes me think, you know, as, as phones become more powerful and as they become slightly bigger, where does the tablet fit in all that? Is the tablet, uh, is the, are we post-tablet already? I don't know that we're post-tablet largely because the benefit of a tablet over a phone is the screen size. Mm -hmm. So there will be circumstances in which I, I can imagine if I was a musician playing with a bunch of other friends, I'd rather have a much larger screen to quickly view as I'm playing as opposed to the little tiny screen. E even if Apple in June comes out with a larger screened iPhone, it's still not going to be as good as if you had a big-ass screen like a no. tablet. No, I, I still like my tablet, especially for reading. I don't like reading off my phone. Um, and there are a couple of other things, like games and a few other things, like using a exactly a tablet for even a, even an iPad Mini. Although I don't think I'm going to buy an iPad Mini next time around. I'm going to buy another full size iPad because my eyes are starting to get bad when it comes to um, reading. Do you have uh, an Air yet? An iPad Air? No, I you know I bought my Mini as the Air came out, and I went iPad mini air, iPad mini air. So I gave the, the mini a shot and it's, it works fine for me, but I think the next time it's for an upgrade, I'm going with the air. Yeah, good call. I've got them both. I don't use the mini very much, uh, although I do have a waterproof case on it. Yeah, yeah you gave it to me. You told, you told me the whole story about how you, you tested it when you were in the bathtub. <laughs> you don't want to hear that story again. No, no, and you gave me one. And it's like, <laughs> Jesus, what am I going to do with this? Because all I'm going to think about is you naked. Well, there are some people who don't have a problem with yeah, that. Yeah, that's fine. Well, I'm, enjoy them. 
Ever wanted to be a big shot co-producer? It's just like Hollywood. Visit geeksandbeats.com to learn how you can pad your resume with an exciting show credit. We'll even send you the album cover of your episode, suitable for framing in your parents' basement. How much does it cost to book your favorite band? Yeah, you know, this 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 story, um, which is, I guess it was a leak of some sort. Somebody put together a list of the prices various acts charge for playing a gig. And it starts from $100,000 plus and goes down to like $1,000. And people- a thousand? No, 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 not a thousand. It goes up to a million. I don't see a no, thousand no, 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 anywhere. No, 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 it goes down to a thousand. So if you scroll all the way down to the bottom- I'm at the you, bottom. Uh, well, yeah, you look at the bottom and there's some bands that you can oh, have okay. for $1,000. According right? to priceonomics.com, yes, right. $1,000. I didn't scroll all the way down. You scroll the way down. So uh, I'm looking for the cheapest one on this list. Who is the cheapest? And you know, it's got to be someone you recognize. I'm looking at all of these guys who... Yeah, like I have no idea who Anna Luno is, but she you can get her for, for a grand. Right. But, but if you scroll to the top, which is where the interesting stuff is... Here are the people that charge a million dollars plus for a gig. Justin Bieber, Justin Timberlake, Madonna. Taylor uh, Swift is a Taylor million Swift. dollars. Taylor Swift. James Taylor is a million dollars. I don't know why they're on the music list, but Mythbusters you can have for a hundred grand. I know. that's that, Show that, up at your big event. Nickelback, a, a bargain at 350000 They pay you that, right? Uh, oh, that's right. That's right. Tim McGraw is fifty five. Green Day is a half million bucks. Yeah, I think that's low. I, I think Green Day is about a million, actually. I, I don't know where they got uh, which, which, which. I actually zeroed in on that one because I know how much Green Day has charged for certain events, and it has been more than five hundred thousand dollars, seven fifty a million is what I've heard. So you're telling me we can't trust something we read on the internet? We, uh, oh, isn't that sad? Mm. That's really, really sad. So it was kind of fun. I mean, there this uh, list has been. Uh, deconstructed by so many people over the last week um, and people saying yes it's true people are saying no it's not people are saying how dare they you know um, I can't buy- believe speaking of how dare they how Robin Thicke gets away with charging a quarter million dollars I know I know doesn't he only have one song well he's got uh, I sure yes I guess but uh, I remember how big Bruce Hornsby in the range was you know he can't get more than 50k poor Bruce I know I know and uh, Slash can get $45,000 just showing up himself just showing up himself that's not too bad I mean you could go to the line of credit to get that Slash, come on over and play for my buddies on Saturday night. Next big Geeks and Beats listener meetup. Slash is Slash. <laughs> I know. It's, 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 it's wild. I mean, you know, the Flaming Lips are $125,000. I will post a, a link to this. I wish instead of an alphabetical order for the bands, we got a, we could sort this. Maybe somebody could do this. Maybe uh, they could put this in a spreadsheet so we can sort it by, uh, by price. Do you know what a Monda Green is? It's the official word for a misheard lyric. Yes, it is. There is an actual official term for when you hear, excuse me, while I kiss this guy. Right. The origin of the term Mondegreen as your misunderstanding for a lyric of a popular song is uh, from popular essay writer Sylvia Wright. I have no idea who she is. But according to io9.com, when her mother read certain books of poems to her, uh, she misunderstood. uh, Lady Mondegreen was, I suppose, one of the poems. Here's how the poem was read. Ye highlands and ye lowlands. Oh, where have ye been? They have been slain the Earl of Moray and Lady Mondegreen. 
Uh, no, the last line is, uh, they slain the Earl of Moray and laid him on the green. Ah, okay. So it doesn't, it's, it's excuse me while I kiss this guy. So Sylvia Wright misheard this in a poem and coined this phrase? Yes, exactly. 1954-ish. Uh, excuse me while I kiss this guy is probably the most popular one. Jimi Hendrix, Purple Haze. Mm-hmm. What, is, what is the one that got you the most? Man, man for Man's Blinded by the Light. Revved up like a deuce, another runner in the night. Words written by Bruce Springsteen. Most people here, wrapped up like a douche, you know the runner in the night. Blinded by the light. Wrapped up like a douche, another runner in the night. Blinded by the light. Wrapped up like a douche. A friend of mine, it drove him nuts, his ex-wife, and I think this may have contributed to their separation, um, insisted that the lyric, Voices Carry, was, You're So Scary. Really? Now, when you come across a Mondegreen that is so obviously not the actual lyric, you, for the life of you, could not convince someone that they've gotten it wrong. Uh, I know. And uh, that was the case with, with his, his ex-wife. Uh, he explained that, uh, it, listen, even the, the title of the song is Voices Carry. Why would it be You're So Scary? Doesn't make any sense at all. No. None whatsoever. Um, there is a- The Mondegreen you think you hear... Uh, according to researchers, has a lot to do with your life experience. And the older you are, the more mature your ear is to the lyrics, but also the more likely convoluted the lyric will be in your head because of it. Here's a good one. Uh, Billy Idol's Eyes Without a Face. Somebody thought she heard, I supply the fish. <laughs> That's a, that half, was not... Half the lyrics in that song are, are French. They are. Uh, les yeux sans les faces. That's what the woman is singing in the background. Son visage. No. Eyes without a face. Son no, visage. No, it's not visage. I think she says la face. Uh, what, it doesn't matter. It's God, not, it's a... Doesn't matter. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> what else we got here? I'm just looking at some other ones. Got it bad. Got it bad. Got it bad. I'm hot for teacher. Got it bad. So bad. I'm hot for teacher. Well, what's wrong with that? That sounds pretty accurate. The real ly- lyric is got it bad. Got it bad. Got it bad. I'm hot for teacher. Got it bad. So bad. I'm hot for teacher. Oh, well, that one. Oh, well, that. Please. Really? Break. That's not even. People are very fascinated by this. My wife is one of the people that are crazy about this stuff. Can't get enough of the misheard lyrics? No, can't. Doesn't understand it. Just keep sending me stuff. Hey, this is kind of funny. No, no, it's not. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. So as we have been discussing, um, Jason Tolman has joined us on the big show as a writer, and we are looking for more writers. Wait, is Jason doing a good job? He is doing a good job. That's not why we're looking for a a new writer. We're not worried about the workload or, or the output. It's just, I think... More eyes on the internet looking for interesting stories, the better this show is going to end up being. 
No, okay, fine, good. So if you'd like to join uh, Jason and uh, Alan and me as uh, writers on The Big Show, admittedly, I don't do a heck of a lot of writing. Mm, and neither do I. Well, you but do any, a lot more than well, I do. Well, okay, fine. But having said that, I do most of the uh, grunt work. Yes, you do. As it were. Um, so if you'd like to join in on The Big Show, we'd really appreciate that. By all means, uh, flip us off an email, as opposed to just flipping us off, which is a whole different thing. Mm. Uh, meantime, uh, on thegeeksandbeats.com, uh, Chris McDonald uh, had uh, tweeted as of uh, last week's episode, the Watchman and Moxie Fruvis mentioned in the latest episode of Geeks and Beats. Did you listen to last week's show? Moxie Fruvis, Moxie Fruvis figured prominently in the open of the show. Oh, no, I didn't, because I was uh, I was overseas. You were too busy schmoozing with Thomas Dolby. I was 12 hours out of sync. I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. Uh, we got Brent Han tweeting us a link to a Huffington Post article about uh, musicians with the widest vocal range. Who oh, that. Think, who do you think is the number one singer by vocal range? Well, this is another story that has had people all up in arms over the past week. If Axl Rose is at the top of it. And people are saying, come on, there's more to vocal talent than just range. But they're missing the point. The, the whole idea of this story was to uh, com uh, compile a list of artists who had the widest vocal ranges, how many octaves they can cover. And I was surprised that Axel had that kind of range uh, versus, um, for example, Ma Mariah Carey. I thought she would have a greater range, but no, nope, Axel. Mariah Carey has a greater high-end range up to uh, G7, but Axl Rose has a wider range. He doesn't make it as high as G7, but he makes it further down as well, more so than David Bowie or Barry White. I wonder where he has that low voice. We have to find that song where he proves that his range goes all the way down to F1. Like when David Bowie in the mid 70s started really getting into the to the baritone aspect of his voice, mm -hmm. you know, in a, in a song like, you know, Cat People, Putting on Fire with Gasoline. I mean, he's singing really, <laughs> really low. But then if he, you know, when he moves his register up and he's singing songs like Starman or, or, or Ziggy Stardust, I mean, that's a huge range. He's got a, uh, Axl Rose is a bigger range than him. I, I, I Listen, I don't have perfect pitch. I don't even have anything close to perfect pitch. Which is so why I played the drums. Yes, exactly. So um, I, I'm, I'm fascinated to know. Uh, I, I looked at that list long and hard, and I thought, wow, this is this this really quite surprised me. Oh, correct. What yes. does that sound for? No, it just says I uh, ended up with a comment on my website. Ah, one? Yes. That's just a slow night. Um, yeah. Geeks and Beats update on uh, how you two can co-produce the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. All you need to do, just like a real Hollywood uh, production, is open your wallet. Yes, please. Um, you know how much this trip cost me? <laughs> this trip will be worth it if you get us Thomas Dolby on the big show. Yeah, I have to talk to him about some other stuff. So we can I, record I, it at any point. I know, I know, I, I, I know. I will play hooky from work to talk to Thomas Dolby. I will see what I can do. All right. You seem like a very pleasant man. And now Morgan Freeman on Helium. In unusual situations... You don't always get what you expect. But sometimes, unusual situations lead to new insights. To find the truth about gravity, physicists are studying it in a place where they expect it to 
felt very strangely. Morgan Freeman's got one of those voices that I would like that man to narrate my life. Yeah, he would be, you know, I'm I'm almost ready to buy uh, to to uh, sign up for yet another Visa card. And you know what's happening is the World Cup's coming up and there's going to be a lot of Visa card commercials featuring Morgan Freeman. But I won't be able to hear a single one of them without thinking about him speaking on helium. You could learn to speak Dothraki. What is Dothraki? You don't know what Dothraki is? Are you not a Game of Thrones fan? No, I'm not. My wife is the Game of Thrones fan. I thought you read all the books or something. No, no, it's my wife. Oh, I, okay. you know, I, I watched the, uh, the, the, the series for the first couple of years when uh, everybody kept getting naked all the time. Uh, now that they're not getting naked all the time, I don't watch it as much. You need to read from Mashable.com, learn to speak Dothraki in just 22 easy steps. Could you imagine a late night, just you and your wife? <laughs> couple of glasses of wine, romancing her with Dothraki. <laughs> I do that with Klingon right now. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. You, 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 Would you like a nice bowl of gach? Does she find that sexy? Not really. <laughs> Here's a surprise. Yeah, so. Matkromaron is hello. Okay. So, you had me at Matkromaron. <laughs> Hajas. Exactly. There are, there are common phrases listed here uh, from uh, the greetings and farewells, the hello, the highs, the good mornings. Common phrases are much respect. How are you? I feel well. The insults get lost. What the heck? You make me itch. You're afisi ani. And go walk with your mother, which is probably the biggest insult you could give. I guess. But uh, you could tell your wife, not in Klingon, but in Dothraki, that uh, she is your sun and stars by saying, Shek ma shiraki ani. Okay. That sounds pretty sexy. A lot it, it sexier does. than Klingon, I'll tell you what. Kaplach! My gach! Where's my gach? I don't know, but it sounds like something needs a cream. <laughs> Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.